Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from sunny Southern California. I assume it's sunny there because it's always sunny there, is my friend Shar Alstrom. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And is it sunny today in Long Beach? It is. It's a beautiful day here. <laughs> there you go. Um, I've sort of known Shar for a long time, but I've never really spent one-on-one time. When I stepped in the space as an ally, there were other um, people in the space, and one of them is Shar Alstrom, and she is an active LDS mom. She has six kids. Um, two of her sons are gay and are no longer in the church, and um, she has six grandchildren. She grew up in the San Diego area, went to BYU, and then has raised her family. And um, as I've been kind of following the things that Shar shares on Facebook, they're really thoughtful. And um, being married 38 years and kind of been on this road for a long time of having adult, some adult children that don't participate in the church, I just felt impressed that she could talk to others of us that are new to this road. Some of you um, may for the first time be dealing with the reality as an LDS mom or an LDS dad, you have adult children that have, are not participating in the church, and that's very different than what you hope for. Um, but Char's been on this road for a while, and I just felt having Char share her story would help you. Some of your kids that are have stepped away may be straight, some may be queer, and so there's a variety of reasons why adult children, neither Char or I are inviting adult children to leave the church, but it's just the reality of what happens in really good LDS homes with really good LDS parents. Um, so is that okay for an introduction, Char? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, I'll just kind of let you start. We have an outline here, and um, I just invited Char to share her story. So I'll be hearing some of the story with you for the first time. All right. Well, a few um, weeks ago, I was on the Facebook group um, Bridges, so support for LDS. Um, LDS, Latter-day Saint Parents of Adult Children. That's what it's called, I think. And you know about it. Your brother started it. You've had him on your program, Geraldine, um, who are both admins there. So um, the, the I read this post from this mom who was quite distraught um, over some decisions that her daughter was making in her daughter's life that was really pulling her away from the church and from promises that the daughter had made. And um, I just felt this mother's pain in her distraught and her sadness and worry about her daughter. And as I read that, I, I thought to myself, I feel her pain, but I don't feel that pain anymore. And how I, I started thinking about how I got from the pain that this mom was feeling to where I was at that moment, which is peace. And I replied to the mom and, you know, told her that I had uh, one married son, one, one son married to a man, another son living with a man, another son not active. And I gave her, um, you know, a little bit of advice. Uh, and, but that just really was a catalyst for me thinking about this. And um, so I, um, I'm just going to share kind of how I got from the, the fear to this piece that I have today. Um, 
I've been a loyal listener of Richard's for a long, long time. And I don't really know that I have anything new or earth shattering to offer anyone. Um, I don't have any words that already maybe hasn't been said, but I do have a story. Uh, It's a little different story. And I just hope that my story helps someone on the road. Um, I'm a convert to the church. I joined the church when I was 18. Um, I uh, was raised in a very dysfunctional family. Uh, We had a lot of um, addictions, alcoholism, gambling, uh, divorces, um, just not very stable. And I, um, when I joined the church, I really, really thought the church was not only the truth, but it would also give me a way to raise a family that I always wanted to be in. I, I dreamt as a, as a girl, as a teenager of, you know, this family with a lot of kids and just fun. And then I thought the church would be, would help me do that. And it obviously it did. But, um, and so I had this vision of, of my family and that vision was, you know, children and children all being married in the temple and, you know, serving missions, being married in the temple and them, them having children and raising their family in the church and, you know, kind of this eternal family that we, we, we dream of and we're taught to dream of in the church. And so I raised my family that way. Um, um, my, um, and I thought that the church gave me a formula for this. And the formula was to, first of all, love my children, support my children. The second was to read their scriptures, have family home evening, pray, you know, uh, make sure the kids were active and everything and scouting and young women and duty to God. Um, Go on, go on missions, be modest, get married in the temple, you know, all the things. That was my formula, and that's what we were. I was teaching my children, and I had this vision at the end of, of what it would be. Um, we have six children, five boys and one girl. We had them very close together. We had all of them in about 11 and a half years, wow. and it was, a, <laughs> it was a really busy time. My husband was, it seemed like from the very beginning, called to um, pretty busy callings. And I, um, you know, supported him. I was there with the kids in the mornings and and the evenings and, you know, whatever. When my um, oldest, when, when my fourth child was a baby, he was called into a bishopric. And then when I was expecting my fifth, he was called to be bishop. I had my sixth while he was bishop. Then all those years he was bishop, and then um, five years on the high council, and then called to be stake president. Um, he had the opportunity to um, set apart all five of my children that served missions wow, as stake cool. president and release four of them. So that just kind of tells you those years that he was stake president. It was pretty formative years for us. Um, I, I was also very busy in callings. Um, you know, and not to brag, but just to say that we were, we were doing it. You know, I was primary president, young woman's president, really society president, squeeze in all of those things. Um, and so I was, we were going to be blessed and we were blessed. We, we were very blessed and, um, life was good. Um, then, um, one, um, and then. So then um, uh, my oldest son, Kyle, I mean, not my oldest son, 
they, my first three served missions, Kevin, Kristen, Casey, they all served missions. Kyle served his mission. He's my fourth son. I mean, my fourth child. He served in the Salt Lake City mission. And he um, struggled on his mission with depression and anxiety. And that was hard for me as a mom to, to have that, um, to, just to hear his weekly emails and his struggles. And, um, but he, he, he served his full mission and came home. About six months after he got home, he told me that he thought that he was bisexual. And I, um, I was not surprised about that. That did not come as a surprise. I think there, there were, I had inklings and there were just some things that he liked girls, but not enough to really date them in high school, you know, not like his older brothers. He was, you know, oh, this one's cute and I like her, but not enough to really date them. And there were just inklings mostly, I believe, from the spirit. So um, when he told me that he was bisexual and my, 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 my what's the word? Na- I don't just know. Being, I, I can't naivete. say that word. Just, yeah. being, just being naive about it. I said, well, if you're bisexual in my heart, and I think I even said it to him, just choose a girl, you know, then, then you'll be happy. You can get married in the temple and you can do all the things you're supposed to do. Um, and uh, my three older kids were already married at this time. And um, of course, I said to him, I love you. That love will never change. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I said all the right words. But honestly, in my heart, it was just like, well, you're bisexual. Choose, choose a girl. And um, that's kind of how things went for a little while. He, he was still really struggling with his mental health. and. Um, Struggling and watching him was really very hard on me because I just want, like all parents, I just wanted him to be happy, you know, and I just wanted him to be able to um, snap out of it. And and yet I knew that he couldn't. I, I have, have limited, very limited experience with being depression, but being depressed. And I know that you just can't pray it away or wish it away. Um, and as the year passed, he tried and tried to be faithful in church, attending the temple weekly and attending church and serving. And um, as the next year passed, it became more and more obviously obvious to him and to all of us that he was not bisexual, that his only attraction was to men. And um, one day, as we were talking on the phone, uh, and every, I, I have to say that every time the phone rang and it was him, I said a, a very quick prayer that I would know the right words to say to him, to help him, um, not only with his anxiety and depression, but also to help him spiritually, you know, to kind of be what he needed to stay in the church and stay on the path. Um, and one day when we were talking, it dawned on me that although he didn't say it out loud, um, I thought he must be having some suicidal thoughts. And I, um, I couldn't talk about it. It was just too hard for me to broach that subject with him. Uh, but I told him that he needed to get help, um, that he needed to talk to somebody right away. And um, I insisted that he call somebody that day. 
And he did. He called me later and said that he was seeing a psychologist the next day, called me after that appointment and said, I'm seeing a psychiatrist this afternoon. So that pretty much told me that he really needed help. And he got, um, he got the help that he needed, um, some help, you know, um, um, and he has a lot of his own story and all of this is his story and I'm not going to tell it. Um, but I'm just saying it from my point of view as a mother to see your son struggling so hard and to know that perhaps he is thinking of taking his own life was, you know, something I did not want at, you know, no parent wants that. Um, and when he announced nine months after he told me that he was bisexual, you know, he had these months of struggle. And then he finally announced and told me that, and I think he announced on Facebook that he was gay, that he was not attracted to women um, and that he would be dating men. I was pretty upset because I knew that this was his, these were his steps out of the church. And I had read so many articles and stories of gay men staying in the church, whether they decided to leave celibate lives or, um, but still loving God, still putting their promises ahead, um, or men who decided to marry women and, and live that life. And I really wanted that for him, not really understanding, just, just seeing as how it would maybe look or that he might find greater happiness staying in the church than he would outside. And there was just a lot of fear in my heart about all of that. Um, so um, loving him, I, I, as I think back on it, loving him came very easy. Of course, I'm going to love my son, right? But accepting him was a little bit harder. Accepting his free agency, accepting the decisions that he was making for his life well, did not come easily to me. Um, he's just, he was a very good, kind, loving person. There's, um, had so many, has so many wonderful talents, but something was changing in him and I could see it and I could see an anger that was, was kind of boiling up inside of him. And, um, one of my sons was just accept, it was just encouraging me to accept him just accept him. And he said to me one day, mom, I'd rather have a gay son. I mean, a gay brother than a dead brother. And that struck me like, like this lightning to my chest. Of course, <laughs> you know, if he is struggling that I, if he has struggles that I know nothing about, of course, I want him to do the things that will keep him safe mentally, physically. And if that included, um, leaving the church, that's what he had to do for him. And I, and I realized I needed to trust that. I needed to trust that he was able to make the right decisions for his life. Um, and about the same time, my youngest son was in his senior year of high school. It was about a year, probably a year after Kyle first came out. And I began to see some things in my younger son, his name is Keith, that, um, like something on a computer, a message, a flirty message to a guy or something. And it hit me that he was gay. And I thought, 
um, how upsetting that was for me. How could I have two gay sons, right? You know, we, I did everything right. <laughs> and this, and then I had these, and at the time, and I feel completely different now, but at the time, it was really hard. I mean, it was hard. And so he told my husband and I toward the end of his senior year that he was gay. And um, he didn't try to sugarcoat it in any way. He was gay. He liked the guy from high school. And um, I think he was always kind of dating this guy. But he still said he wanted to go on a mission. And he still said that, you know, he would go to BYU, Idaho and all that and all that. But the night that Keith came out to us, it was I was pretty distraught. And um, I went to my scriptures. I, I, I love the scriptures. I find lots of answers specifically for me in the scriptures. And that night I opened them and just prayed, Heavenly Father, give me comfort. Heavenly Father, please lead me. And the scripture that it opened to was in Doctrine and Covenants. Um, verse 18. And it said, I still get emotional when I think about this. It said, and ye cannot bear all things now. Whoa, was that true? (laughs) I could not bear all things at that moment. But be of good cheer. Yeah, right. I thought, how can I be of good cheer? I will lead you along. The Lord was telling me that it was going to be okay and that he was going to lead me along in that scripture. And then the verse ends with it saying, the riches of eternity are yours. I honestly felt like the Savior was right there next to me that, that in that moment. He understood. He knew what I was going through and he was going to lead me along. And he told me that the riches of eternity were not going to be lost to me. That this eternal family that I had talked about, I don't know how, but they were not going to be lost. Um, and then, again, I was supposed to be cheerful and happy about it. Now, that was the hard part. Um, Can you tell us the scripture so, reference to that again? DNC 78, I think. Yeah, 78 verse 18. Okay. That's terrific. So that that has stayed with me, you know, all these years. I just I just find so much comfort in that. So life kept happening, you know. I still struggled with um, things. I still, um, you know, struggled with my kids leaving the church. Uh, another another son and his wife were questioning the church at this point. They were um, uh, had historical questions and Book of Mormon questions and, and things like that. I really honestly didn't talk to them very much about it, um, but I knew that they were struggling. And then in November 5th, 2015, the church announced the new policy. Um, I don't even remember the name of it, but it was the policy um, about the children of gay, gay people not being baptized and um, calling them apostates and um, the part that got really that really hurt me as I read it was um, that they put my that my sons were sort of put in the same category as pedophiles and rapists and in the wording of it. And anyway, it was really hard for me. And that was the first time in my entire however many years I'd been in the church that I questioned anything 
that came from a prophet or an apostle. That was the first time I, I, I loved them. I followed them without question. And that was, it opened something in me that I was surprised about. And um, I just knew within my heart that what they were saying was wrong and that they didn't understand my children. I, I can't judge the rest of the world. I just knew, I just knew my children, that they were not understanding. And um, I love you being honest about the policy statement, Char. Um, I felt the same way, and I think a lot of committed, faithful Latter-day Saints were uncomfortable about the policy statements. You saw it firsthand because you know your sons, Kyle and Keith, and who they are and their good hearts. And and so I just appreciate you being honest and vulnerable and the courage to share how you really felt. And I think it helps other listeners that are trying to continue to make the church work that are uncomfortable about something to know that they're not alone. And yeah. maybe you'll talk about how you worked through that or reconciled that or some things we never reconcile. We just sort of continue forward without reconciliation. I, I, yeah, I just kind of continue forward. I never really reconcile it. I mean, they they backtracked on it somewhat yeah. in 2019, yeah. um, which helped me because I said, oh, yeah, because I knew in my heart that it wasn't right. And yeah. so, you know, they did backtrack a little bit, but it, it caused so much pain. And um, I did have a lot of very active members talk to me and how it was hard for them, too. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, like I said, it was just open something that I hadn't ever experienced before. And I really wanted to, you know, follow the prophet and follow the leaders of the church and believe everything they said. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about, about that. But um, so then um, in June of 2016, um, life sort of, for me, kind of, it seemed like it was falling apart. I had major surgery and, and during the surgery this time, I had to like lay low to recover and I was going to do what I needed to do to recover from the surgery. Um, but while my body was recovering, my mind was going crazy, you know, with worry, <laughs> with fear, with, you know, all of these things. Um, Kyle was dating a, a man now, um, one in particular. He was no longer active and he was, he had a lot of anger toward the church. Keith was, had spent a semester at BYU, I, but had come home and didn't like that. And um, he was dating a guy, same guy from high school, which would disqualify him from a mission, um, which I don't think he really wanted to do anyway. But another son uh, served a mission, got married in the temple. He, he and his wife, they had left the church. Um, my daughter, who lived close to me in close proximity with two with my two little granddaughters at the time, who I, for the joy of my life, they moved um, out of the country. Um, her husband took a job with the U.S. State Department, and they moved to India, not Indiana, India. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a nonstop flight from Long Beach. <laughs> And that just broke my heart, you know, to say goodbye to my two granddaughters. Um, my other, well, another son and his wife who wanted to have children were, had um, infertility and they were not getting pregnant. 
So at this period of time in my life, it was pretty bleak. I felt it was not turning out how I had hoped or planned. Um, I felt a lot of a lot of grief. I couldn't get out and walk like I love to do. I was depressed and I cried a lot of tears. Uh, it was a pretty hard time. And all of that literally happened within a two-month span. Well, I mean, most of it. Um, and that's the time when I really reached out to some Facebook or just I started reaching out, listening to podcasts. I found Facebook groups um, that helped. Uh, I'll Walk With You really helped. North Star really helped at the time. Um, I wasn't alone. I felt very alone. But I realized I wasn't, that there were other people on this road and with, you know, even deeper wounds and scars than I had and um, more tragedies. And it just it just helped me to learn from them, to learn things and to know that I wasn't alone. Um, when I was able to start exercising again and picked up walking, I listened, I was listening to a podcast and I do not remember which one it was, but Tom Christopher Christopherson was the guest and I had read his book that they may be one. And I loved that book. I loved mostly how his mother handled things when, when he came out and I knew that that's what I wanted my family to look like also, but something he changed, something he said in that podcast, really, um, this, the spirit, um, really hit me and I really was trying to remember the words in DNC 78 where where the Lord said he would lead me along and so when he when Tom Christopherson said what he said I knew that that was God leading me along and I don't remember his exact words but the thought that came into my heart was and I knew it was the Holy Ghost because I know how the Holy Ghost speaks to me was what your children need from you is more than your love. They need your acceptance. They don't need your disapproval. Wow. And um, that, that, that hit me really hard. Okay, loving was easy, but how do I accept them? And I thought, the thought came to me, how was I supposed to approve of something that, you don't approve of, meaning that the Lord doesn't approve of. How am I supposed to do that when you don't approve of it? And yet it was, I felt like it was coming from the spirit. It, it was very, it was very hard for me. It was, you know, the first time I ever really recognized the word dissonance or cognitive dissonance was when I thought about that. Um, but that feeling never left me. Um, and I knew that I had to learn how to accept where they were right then. Um, Mr. Rogers, I love Mr. Rogers. He said a quote that really meant a lot to me. It says, love isn't a state of perfect being. It is an active noun like struggling. To love is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right now. And that's what I had to do, to love them where they were and accept them where they were. Um, and, I, and I needed to love without expecting anything in return. You know, sometimes in the church, we're like, well, I'm going to love them back into the gospel. I'm going to love them so that they'll be active or, you know, but I realized that's kind for me, 
that's that's a wrong thing. I just need to love them without an end in mind. And once I really started to love without manipulation, once I started to honor their agency, to trust their judgment, the peace really started to come for me. Those days of, and and that meant I had to accept my children who had chosen to leave the church. I had to accept my daughter's decision to leave the country and take my grandchildren from me. You know, once the Lord started um, influencing that on me, it really changed my, um, my life. And I felt a lot of peace. I felt a lot more peace than I had ever felt before. Um, it took a lot of reminders and it took a lot of prayer. I think I, gave, I got that gift from God to accept them, to not want to change them. Um, so um, I don't know, remember when this happened, but at one point I met my son's boyfriend. His name was Chandler. I was very nervous about meeting Chandler. I thought, how can I, how can I like this guy? You know, how can, uh, but before I met him, I prayed, Heavenly Father, help me to see who, him for who he is. Help me to, uh, help me to like him if I'm supposed to, basically. Um, I met him and um, it was after a BYU women's conference and I was in Utah and I went to my son's backyard and we sat and we chatted for uh, a couple hours. And when I left, I called my husband and I said, I met him and I like him. And I think he's good for our son. And I realized maybe I can do this. Maybe I really can accept this. Um, I really... um, Yeah, I really realized I could accept this. And a little while later, I had another experience where I was still trying. I was still struggling. There was just so many things. I knew what the Savior wanted me to do, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't let go and just let things develop. I was still worrying and tense about it. And um, so one day I sat down and I wrote down all of the things I was worried about, all of my children, everything I was worried about, everything I was having trouble with accepting and um then i at this point in my life i was going to the temple quite a bit probably once a week so in this temple one day at the temple still feeling very heavy wondering how i could do all this i imagined that i put all those things i wrote down in a little gold bag with a nice gold tie on it this is all in my head right as i'm sitting in the temple I put all those things I was worried about in that little gold bag. And then I, in my head, I walked up and I laid that bag on the altar. And I said, this is yours. Please, please help me. Please help them. But mostly just help me. And um, I left the temple that day very much lighter. And I saw the atonement work in my own life and him giving me peace and helping me to really love and accept. And then I was um, prompted to write down 
after that, I was prompted to write down all of the good things that I saw in my children because I was focusing on the fear, my fear, and not seeing the good. And as I wrote down all of the good of the love, the kindness, the son who gives, you know, will go in and buy a sandwich for a homeless man on the street he sees, the the sharing that they do and the giving that they do, um, the love they have for me. I um, I realized that I needed to focus more on their good than on the things that worried me or the things that were fearful to me. And that was just, that's what I call just giving it to the Savior. And um, that's what I did. And that was... Um, heart changing for me um my daughter my son and daughter-in-law who had uh who had left who has left who have left the church had a baby and a couple years almost four years ago and um after the baby they um i got a text saying that they were going to do a something to celebrate this child and I'm going to call it a tree ceremony. I don't remember what they, what, it, what they called it, but it was going to be where the family got together and we um, celebrated this child and they were going to plant a tree in his honor and, you know, all these things. And my first reaction to that was not positive. My first reaction to that in my head, in my heart was, oh, this is a counterfeit blessing. That's what this is. If they can't take him to the church and bless him, we shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is just not, not right. It just didn't, it didn't sit well with me. And I wanted to tell them how I felt, you know, rather than just stuffing everything down, I'm just going to tell them. So then I went on a walk and I um, was praying and saying, how do I word this? Heavenly Father, how do I word this? And um, the words he gave me were, it's lovely. What? <laughs> That's what he wanted me to say. So I texted back and I said, it sounds lovely. We will be there. And it was lovely. It was a wonderful celebration of this child. And it was, people came and they, family members, her family, my family, close friends, they came and we we gave we wrote down advice for this child we we gathered around a tree and we we shared what we hoped what we would do for this child in in their life i felt the spirit very strongly there um and something that it, it what it what that taught me was i need to give i need to ask the lord ask heavenly father not be so quick to judge and to ask what I really should do to love, right? I had, I had, I had decided I needed to love and accept, but then you have to put that into action, right? And a lot of it's just keeping your mouth shut and saying, that's lovely, or that's nice and accepting. And it, and everything turns, it turned out lovely and nice. And I'm so grateful that I didn't say what I wanted to say. <laughs> Can you imagine how I would have offended my granddaughter? How I mean, not my granddaughter, my daughter-in-law. How I would have upset my son. Um, 
And honestly, I'd say with sincerity, it was a wonderful experience. That's a great so that's story. putting what I've been have been taught by the spirit into action, right? Um then my next my youngest son Keith um met a a guy. Um and I don't know how much to say of this story, but I'll just say again, the fear that I had of things were were, were kind of coming. And he had stopped dating this one guy. He was not active in church anymore. Um, and he'd stopped dating this one guy. And I knew he would start dating again, but how would he date? You know, would he date on uh, Tinder or whatever? Would he go to bar? You know, how would he meet people? And that was scaring me, honestly. How um, How's he going to meet people? And what's that going to lead to? And so then he decided to move out of our house and um, rent a room with some people that he knew. And that was fine. It was time for him to go on, on his own. And um, I met his roommate and I just thought, wow, I don't know what about that roommate didn't strike me super positively on first impression. Um, And then three or four weeks later, maybe I don't know how long it was, maybe it's a couple months, he tells me that that this roommate and him have decided that they like each other and they're going to try to date and be roommates at the same time. And I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> how's that going to work out? You know, well, that was three years ago and they are still together. And now I look back at that and I thought all that fear I had of how's he going to meet people and all of these things were were taken away because he just moved in with him. <laughs> and that was hard at first. You know, now my son, now I have a son that's just living with a guy. All of those church teachings are just gone. How, oh, all of these things I've had to reconcile. But we love Derek. We he's a part of our family as much as anyone else. Um, and I don't know where their story is going to end, but right now, it's good. So then, my son Kyle gets engaged to the boy that I met, the man that I met, and they got married in. August of 2020. And I always wondered how would that be when my son decided to get married? How would I how would I react to that? Um when the when the Supreme Court um decision came down and he was very happy about that. I couldn't share that happiness with him because I thought it was wrong. Um but here, years later, they're getting married, and I'm I'm fine with it. I'm happy with it. And um, or they when they got engaged, they've been married for two years now. But um, the wedding, they had a lovely wedding in um, Big Sur, and um, amongst the fires that were happening there, it was the spirit was there. I felt it. I felt the spirit and I wondered if I would, I really did, but I felt the spirit. And, um, as I looked at them a couple weeks ago when we were together in Utah and watched the, the life that they are building and watched them together, you know, they bought a home, they're fixing their home, they're fixing their garden, they work, they have their, they're raising their dogs, they 
they have a good marriage from everything I can see. And what I, what I observed uh, was love and happiness. And that's really what Kyle wanted in his life was to be married to a, and have a life. He's, he's doing that right now, but with a man instead of a woman. And I have learned that he's not hurting anybody with that marriage. Now, that's not what the church teaches. And that is part of my dissonance, my nuance with the church. But I can only judge things by what I observe and what I see. And I see that, and I see other married, you know, same same sex marriages that I think are fine and happy. And so, I mean, that's just what I deal with in my own life and with my own personal. I'm not saying anything about anybody. I just don't. I just I just laid down the burden of judging, really, and let them live as they choose to live. Um. When I think about what I would do different if I could go back, I gave a state conference talk. We had a wonderful state president, and he was very um, accepting and very LGBTQ friendly. You know him. I think he's been on your podcast. Yeah, President um, Fersh. President Fersh. A couple of guys from my stake, I think, have been on your podcast. Um, but um, he, I gave a talk at state conference. And in the talk, I um, listed 10 things I learned from having my gay children. And that was, oh gosh, I don't know how many years ago that was. But I was thinking about that too recently. And I thought, okay, what, have, what more have I learned since that talk? I, I wouldn't change anything I learned. And I've shared most of it here. But one of the things I would change, I wish I could have done back then, was to ask more genuine questions to really be curious about their life and um especially my son that left the my son that left the church and his wife what um just be more curious and not be so fearful of the answers that they were that they would give me um i really wish that i would have done that um let me see yes that's just the main thing, I think, is not be so fearful um, to trust trust them. Um, in the in the New Testament, there's a scripture that I have come to love. Um, it's in Matthew chapter seven, and he talks about a father loving their children, giving you know, I I don't remember it by heart, but if a child a, a father will give their children good gifts if a son asks for a fish what father would give him a stone um and if we being evil would give good gifts to our children just think what our father in heaven the gifts that he gives to us and you know for a while i felt that it seemed to me that god had given me stones when I wanted fish. There was a period of time. But now looking back on that, I see so clearly the good gifts that he has given to me. You know, a heart, he's broken my heart in order to open my heart to love 
to real love, to charity, without manipulation, without wanting something in return. Uh, I've been able to lay down the burden, as Sister Dennis said in General Conference, of judging others, of just loving them. I'm not perfect in any way, but I just see where I am today versus where I was, you, you know, 10 years ago in that area. And I hope people can see it. Um, he's given me the gift of being able to be vulnerable, to really share things that I could not have shared years ago. Um, I just have received such good gifts from my queer kids, from my kids that have left the church, from my kids that are struggling in the church, from my daughter who left. This, all of those things that I thought not, that left the country, um, all of those things that I thought were, were fish have been, and I mean, that were stones have become fish and are good gifts. And I'm very grateful for that. I feel like the Lord has led me along. He has told me things, has inspired me. And um, I just can't say how grateful I am for where I am now with the peace that I feel compared to the peace, the turmoil I felt years ago. So... I'm just deeply moved, Char. Yeah. Uh, and listeners, I would sense you are, and a lot of people just want to reach out and give you a big hug. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're walking their dog, and they're at the gym, and they're driving in their car, and they might be on a plane, or they who knows where people listen. But I think there's a lot of people that have just taken nuggets from your podcast, and it's really helped them. Um, these are um, some things I wrote down, listeners. That I hope are helpful. I just felt like we were on sacred ground. And Char just invited us into her home and her heart in such a wonderful, vulnerable, real way. And I think we heal and help each other when we do what Char has just done. And I just felt like this was sacred ground and the courage it took Char to share. And thank you. Um, there were so many. This scripture in DNC 7818, I've been thinking about quite a bit. It's a scripture like El President Elder Bednar, when he talked about tender mercy, it's a scripture I'd never really thought about until he shared it so long ago when he was first called. But this scripture, riches of eternity are yours. I love the hope that that brings. And I love this pattern of yours that I think is a pattern for all of us is to continue to pray. Um, you have done that as you've been facing these forks in the road or a new set of circumstances on a consistent basis. And I think that God has been there and has answered your prayers. I'm just reading, there's not in chronological. I'm glad President First asked you to speak in state conference about the 10 things you've learned as a parent of a queer child. And I love that then you can share that learning in a church setting. And I think it's just good we talk about this subject at church and your stake has been doing that. Um, I love this. I wrote down some fear that then turned it into peace. You came to that several times, and I think that's just a... I love that you've been able to turn fear into peace, Char, and that the atonement has been able to do that in the temple in prayer. I love that you went from loving and separated accepting. Not sure anybody's done that as well as you've done that on the podcast, is... Yeah, I've always loved my sons, Kyle and Keith, and your other son and his wife that have stepped away. But 
you kind of one step further and said, what does this mean? I've got to accept them. And then you've got to put that into action. So you kind of took that, went from loving to accepting to say, oh, I've got to take this into action. So I am going to go to the tree ceremony and be open that this can be a positive experience for this little grandchild's life. And I loved that it was, and it brought your family closer together. Um, I've got to give a shout out to your son, Kevin. I'm remembering now Kevin messaged me like a year ago and said, you have to get my mom on the podcast. And I kind of filed that back in my brain. And, um, but, it, but that's been there. So um, Kevin, Kevin's, Kevin's always pushing me to share more, to do more. Is that that you sounds know, like I, Kevin to you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm going to read the Facebook post that kind of triggered this podcast. Char started at the beginning of this podcast with a Facebook group for LDS parents that have adult children that have stepped away. We talk about it in episode 571. We'll list, we'll link to it in the show notes if you want to join the Facebook group. But somebody, you, you talked about the post of a parent that was new on this road, but I'm going to read what you wrote because I thought it was just terrific. Sending you lots of love and support. Having been on this road for a few years, my advice would be to focus on the good he is doing in his life. Don't focus on what he's not doing. Don't let fear take over. You raised him. Trust him to make the best of his life. Be kind to his wife. Do what it takes to keep your relationship strong. Love him for who he is. All the best to you and your son. And I just thought that was such a mature 40,000 foot view of this space. Um, that comes with the work you've done to be in this space for so long, Char. Um, and I think it's a credit Thank to you. your whole family. I, I think of, and I've read this a couple of times, but I think of Apollo 13. Um, and I think listeners know that that was one of the Apollo missions that went sideways. <laughs> in some ways, your family vision went sideways um, with three of your six leaving. but. Um, one of my greatest quotes from that movie is, with all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And I think for the Alstrom family, this is your finest moment. I think it's a, an example of a beautiful family love story. And Thank I th- you. And it's, it's a credit to everybody in your family. And I know your family's not perfect and there's more chapters to write. But my feeling is the foundation is there of love and trust. And and I wrote word for word what you said after you met Chandler. And when you, I guess, talked to your husband, I and I you said, I think he's good for our son. That's a pretty thoughtful thing to say. Mm-hmm. So those are some of my thoughts, listeners. I I wanna and I wanna give it back to Shar, but um we talked about Tom Christofferson's book that we may be one and I just came across this again, and I know Char knows this and just taught it, but it's just, um, this is Tom Christofferson, one of the five Christofferson boys who's gay and has been in a same-sex relationship for a couple decades. Now, Tom's back in the church and on his own, um, but I'll just read this a little bit. That night after grandchildren had put to bed, my brothers, their wives, and my parents, and I gathered in the largest bedroom to speak began with prayer, and then, as I recall, my father talked about the importance of unity and loyalty to one another. My mother said, I am ashamed to say, but there was a time when I thought we were the perfect Mormon family. 
I have this picture in my head when dad was called as bishop in New Jersey and the local paper sent a photograph, photo, photographer for the story. Your boys were wearing your bow ties and I thought I had it all figured out that we were the perfect Mormon family. But then life happens and I realize there is no perfect Mormon family. The only thing we can really be perfect at is loving each other. Then she addressed my brothers and sister-in-laws and said, the most important lesson your children will learn from how our family treats Uncle Tom is that nothing they can ever do can take us outside the circle of our family love. That became their guiding principle, and you are doing that in the Alstrom family. So those are some of my thoughts, listeners, but I'd love to turn it back to Shar for more thoughts that come into your mind. Well, I want, I want, I, I was remiss in saying that, um, uh, talking about my husband, um, my husband is not um, as uh, vocal as I am, but he is as accepting and loving as I am. Um, and that has made, a, you know, a huge difference in our family. My children love <clears throat> each other. Even, you know, the ones that are active and, you know, I, I remember a, a while back we were at the park and there was, all of us were there. We don't get together very often, but we all happen to be at a park in Utah. And um, one of my little granddaughters, who's probably four or five at the time, asked my, my daughter, who's Chandler? Chandler? They weren't married yet, but Chandler was there. And I listened with intent. What is she going to say? What is this daughter of mine who is very active in church, who, you know, just is church, you know, not his church, but, you know, what is she going to say? How is she going to say this? And she just very non, matter of factly really said, Chandler is Kyle's boyfriend. You know how, you know, mommy, mommy likes boys and daddy likes girls and they like me. Sometimes boys like boys and sometimes boys like girls and Kyle likes boys and Chandler is who Kyle likes and he's his boyfriend. And that was it. There was no, no, nothing, no shame, no, oh, but you know, it was just the way it was. And I wish so much that life could be like that, that it could just be that way. People love who they love without shame, without worry, without just a normal part of life. And I thought the way my daughter handled that was beautiful. And I think the way all of my children um, have handled all of this is, is beautiful. Um, and I'm so proud of them. And I, I, you know, I've heard the, the, I've heard the term no empty chairs or, you know, whatever that is. And I'm talking about eternity. Well, along with, with um, Sister Christofferson, I always say there will be no empty chairs at my home and my table. I mean, sometimes people aren't there, but people are always invited. There's no, there's no not being invited. It's there. And that's the way I want it on this life, in this life, because whatever eternity is, which I believe is more inclusive and more glorious than we can, we imagine. That's, that's what I've been taught through the spirit. It's more glorious than we think. Um, if, if there's empty chairs here, there's going to be empty chairs there. And Whatever eternity is for me and for my family, I want them there. And so I feel like it has to be here, here on this earth. 
with just love and acceptance for everyone. Love that. So I think that's all I all else I have to say. I'm sure afterwards I'll go, oh, I wish I said that. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I love you talked about your good husband. I think in I see sometimes when both parents are equally accepting and supportive. One's natural skill set is to talk more about it, and one's natural skill set is to not talk about it. So I've always sensed that you and your good husband are walking together this road. And in LDS parents, there may be differences. You know, there may be differences within a marriage about how best support this. But I love the pattern that Shar sets forth is um, you took time, especially I'm, I'm thinking again of your daughter inviting you to the tree ceremony. I love the way you named it. And you took time to pray and sort of walk around the block or however. And I thought yeah. that was a really um, thoughtful thing to do as a parent because often I regret what I first think that then becomes words or a text. And I and I love your constant pattern. And you know, I know you haven't been perfect and you're not saying that you have been or anybody should be, but that you pray and you take some time. And you often you come to the bigger principle of what am I going to do to support my daughter and preserve that relationship? So much of this podcast is about preserving the relationship and putting it all at the Savior's feet. I do. I wrote down one other thing, that little gold bag mm. that you symbolically took to the altar. I love that. I absolutely love that. I love your, um, ongoing temple attendance. I assume that's the Newport Beach Temple or maybe the La yeah, LA Newport. Temple. Um, I love that temple. It's close to where we vacation. And I just love the, the visual imagery listeners of what Shar did. Um, and how I just think that's a practical application of the atonement to write all those things, symbolically put them in the little gold bag. Any idea why you chose a gold bag in your mind? Um, no, I it just... It just seemed natural to me that I would be giving a gold bag to the Savior. I don't, I, I love something, that. something nice, something that meant something to me that I wanted him to help me with. I, I don't know. I love that. And I love the symbol, symbolism of the altar, that it was the altar. Um, and I think listeners, he is glad when we turn stuff over to him. I don't think it adds to his burden, even though it's our pain don't think this isn't our doctrine, but sometimes culture, we don't want to burden other people with our pains, yeah. but he's paid the price. He has already yeah. felt Shar's pain and my pain and your pain. So he wants us to turn it over to him. We're not adding to his burden. I think he rejoices when he's able to use something that he's already done to take pain out of our lives. And this isn't sin-related pain. <laughs> this is just the burdens of mortality-related pain, which can be pretty heavy at times. So I love yeah. that. I just really love that, Shar. Thank you. I believe that I believe him when he says take his yoke upon him. We don't add to him. He he wants us to turn to him. So I think we just both invite you to act on the impressions you felt in your individual story. Um, this has been a terrific podcast. Even though you started this where I'm not sure my story will be much different. I think there's listeners that would seriously debate you on that. That There are things that you have shared that have been so unique and helpful for them that no one's ever quite said in the way you said it, Shar. So there are people that are significantly helped by what you said. And I want you to know that. And some of those people 
I'll tag you in Facebook. Some of those people may message you. Um, but for, I would guess for every single message you get, there's 50 or 100 that were really helped by what you said. And it may be LGBTQ people just to hear you talk kindly about queer people, queer Latter-day Saints, the way you talk so positively about your two gay sons. Um, there'll be queer people listening. and There was no shame. There was no, you're broken. Um, you just saw the goodness in their lives and the good that they're living in their lives. And that's another um, beautiful part of this podcast. So anyway, this is Shar Alstrom and Richard Zosler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>